Well, thank you, team, so much. Appreciate that. And leading us in worship. And thank God for the privilege of choosing life in Christ by God's grace. And let's learn about that life God's called us to by turning your Bibles to our text, Romans chapter 13. Would you turn there, please? Romans chapter 13. You know, there is a general rule of wisdom regarding discussing a couple of topics with people you don't know very well or maybe you've never met before. And what are those two topics? Religion and politics, right? Well, evidently, Paul did not get that memo. (laughs) Because he has never been to Rome. He has never met these people personally. Yet he writes them this letter and he discusses at length how they should live and believe it or not brings up the topic of religion, (laughs) politics, and just for fun throws in taxes as well. (laughs) Now certainly you can imagine living in the Roman Empire at that time, over the last few years, if you're alive when Paul wrote these and you have lived for just a few years, you can remember some very nice leaders such as Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, now a really nice young man named Nero is the emperor. Those were the leaders of the government over a period of a number of years. Those were the leaders as Christianity began to emerge after the ascension of the Lord Jesus. And Paul is writing to people who have known the oppression of the state all of their lives. He is writing to many of them who are not only experiencing the oppression of the state, but also they are living as slaves. Many, perhaps as much as half of the first Christians were slaves. And so Paul writes about what is the responsibility then of followers of Jesus to the government. That was not a popular subject. You can imagine in Paul's day, I have an idea. I think it might not be so popular 2,000 years later. Just this week, I smiled as I read an account uh, from a rural area of a neighboring state. A young farm girl was sent out to milk the cow. And her mother had sent her out. She was doing dishes. And the mother heard the young girl say loudly to her, Ma, there's a man here who wants to talk to you. And she says, I have told you. Mother says, never to talk to, your stranger, to strangers. You get yourself in the house right now. And her daughter replied, but Ma, she sa- he says she, he works for the government. <laughs> and the mother replied, in that case, bring the cow too. <laughs> You know, in America, it's easy for us to chuckle at that wry humor of that kind of encounter. But as we read this text, I read it this morning, you followed along. I think you could say Paul is very serious. He's very direct. 
And why is that? Why is Paul so clear and direct about these Christians, these early Christians' responsibility to government? Well, it's because of what he has been challenging them regarding living as worshipers. You remember, if you go back to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he's finished this huge doctrinal section reminding them of the glorious power of the gospel of Christ in their lives. And then he begins to say, now present your bodies as living sacrifices. Live out this faith. Experience the will of God. Find that it is good and complete. Perfect. So he is saying this is how you live as worshipers of God. The one true God. And also Paul is being so direct and clear because not only are they worshipers, listen carefully, they are followers. They are followers of Jesus. They are followers of the way of Jesus. And as faithful Christians and faithful citizens, it means something to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus was once challenged by a political hit question. Do you remember that? Some of his enemies, religious enemies, religious leaders of the day tried to trick him with a question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And they thought they had Jesus on the horns of a dilemma because if he says, to, yes, it is, well then, a lot of his followers are going to be unhappy with him, especially the Jewish people. And if he says, no, it's, it's not lawful, then the authorities are going to be a little upset because they have some interest in the revenue stream. But what was Jesus' answer? He said, bring me a coin. And he held the coin up. He said, whose image and inscription is this? And the answer, you remember, was Caesar's. And then Jesus said this, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God's the things that are God's. We are people who live in the kingdom of Caesar, human government. But we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we have a responsibility to human government, and we have the ultimate responsibility to God. This was Jesus' answer. Now, what is happening here? Paul is interpreting this statement of Jesus to believers whom he has never met. They are aware of the statements of Jesus. They've heard the oral accounts of Jesus' teaching. They know what Jesus has said. And now Paul, for them, and by the Holy Spirit's inspiration of Paul's words for us, he is interpreting for Christians for all times the principles involved in what Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but God the things that are God's. And so this morning, what I want us to do for a few minutes is, and I think it's very timely, and I think that we really have to ask the Lord at this moment to block out the noise of social media and the noise of the hatred that is so expressed and divisiveness, we need to hear the still, small, all-authoritative voice of God. Amen. What does God say? So I want you to think about this subject. Heavenly citizens of earthly governments. 
The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? If you are a believer, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You are enrolled with the redeemed. And you have a homeland. And you're on your way home. But while we're on our way to our true home, we are also citizens of earthly governments. And that's been the case for all the generations of Christians. So how do we live as heavenly citizens in earthly governments? So it's important to listen to God. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. The first responsibility that I want us to understand is what Paul says here about the responsibility to government. The responsibility of a believer to government. And what is that? Well, notice, first of all, it begins with recognizing the authority of government. Recognizing the authority of government. Listen to Paul, verses 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist, those authorities that exist, have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the governing authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Paul says here, recognize the authority of the government. Now, in dealing with this matter of authority, Paul boldly reminds us there is ultimately only one authority. Do you see that? There is really no authority, ultimate authority, except God's. All other authority on earth, listen, all other authority on earth and the authority of the angels is derived authority. The one supreme authority of all authority is God Almighty. And that's what Paul reminds these believers about. That God himself is the source of human authority. God is sovereign. He possesses all authority. And so all authority of any government is derived from him. Therefore, what's Paul saying? All governments exist at his pleasure and for the accomplishing of his plan. Well, you say, well, what about evil governments? God does not cause evil, but God is able in his sovereignty to cause evil to bring good. Would you say the crucifixion of the Son of God was an evil thing? Would you say that the crucifixion of the Son of God was a wonderful thing ordained by God and brought salvation? God uses even evil governments to accomplish His purposes. The Bible is filled with these. You go back to Romans chapter 9, verse 17. Chapter 9 of Romans is about the sovereignty of God. What does God say to Pharaoh? For this purpose, I raised you up. That I might show in you my authority. Supreme authority. You remember there was a king in the Old Testament? Probably the most powerful king the world had ever known. Absolutely unopposed in every sense. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. One night he's strolling along the fabled walls of ancient Babylon. And he begins to see, say, Is this not all Babylon that I have created? For my glory I've done this. And there was a voice from heaven in paraphrase said, 
not so fast. <laughs> That's in the Hebrew. You've got to dig that out. <laughs> he says, for a time, I'll show you how powerful you are until you learn who really has power. And we're told that for a period of time, the greatest king the world had ever known suffered from boanthropy, thinking he was an animal, eating like an animal. The Bible indicates that went on for seven years. The greatest of all the kings of the earth, Nebuchadnezzar, acting, behaving like an animal. And then God allowed his sanity to return to him. And you might say that Nebuchadnezzar was a changed man. As a matter of fact, it, it might be able to say he was a converted man. I don't know if he was spiritually converted, but he sounded like one. Because here's what he said. Listen to this greatest king in the world after he found out who's the king of the ages. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was returned. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to him, what have you done? Everything he does is right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. <laughs> now that is learning your lesson. Wow. That is truth. Even evil authorities are ordained for God's purposes. Take the example of Jesus. You remember when Jesus was brought before that wicked ruler, Pontius Pilate? He would hardly speak to Pilate. We're told in John 19, Pilate says, won't you speak to me? Don't you know that I have the power, the authority, to crucify you or the authority to let you go? And what did Jesus say? You could have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. In that moment, Jesus is saying, I recognize your authority to do what you say. But you need to understand, you couldn't say that unless that authority was given from above. Because my Father has all authority. Jesus recognized divine authority even among an ungodly judge like Pilate at that moment. I hope the truth of this verse is gripping our minds God is absolutely sovereign. There is no government that exists apart from God's providential plan and power. God is the source of all authority. Paul says this. God says it through Paul. Secondly, what does he call us to do to that authority? He says, as Christians, we should submit to the government's authority. Look at verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Paul says by God's authority, God's children, followers of Jesus, are to submit to the government's authority. This is a call. This is a call. This is a command, brothers and sisters, to profound obedience. It's a call to profound obedience. The word every here is emphatic. Did you see this? Every authority. 
Submit is an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. To violate the authority of the government is to rebel against God, Paul says, and receive His condemnation. Now these are, these are sobering verses, right? You say, well, I'll be honest with you, Sam, it's, it's hard to sit here and listen to them. Well, imagine how hard it is to stand here and deliver them. But every believer needs to understand that governments are ordained by God and we as believers are to submit to those governments and not find ourselves resisting God. Paul says we are not just to recognize the authority of government, we're to respect the authority of government. Governments have been given the responsibility. Now, God's given responsibility to governments. And what is the responsibility? What's the role that the government is to carry out under God? Notice these. Number one, the role of protecting the community. The role of protecting the community. Look at verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to Good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your, next word, good. It's interesting. It says the authority, the ruler, the government, is the minister for your good. You know what that word minister is? Deacon. (laughs) Deacon. Government is God's deacon for good. The good is what? To establish order among mankind. Now listen to what I'm about to say, brothers and sisters. We recognize that there are bad governments... (laughs) And that's to be expected because every government, as good as it is, has as its leaders are still what? Sinners. But listen carefully what I'm about to say. A bad government is better than no government at all. A bad government is better than no government at all because without government, What the sinful nature of mankind leads to is not liberty, but anarchy. The darkest days in Israel's history are recorded in the Bible in the book of Judges. And here is a statement that's repeated again and again and again in the book of Judges. Here's what it says. In those days, there was no ruler in Israel, and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Anarchy, because there was no ruler. Governments are servants of God to restrain sinful nature of fallen man. Why do you think, I think... In a providential way, God gave insight to the founding fathers of this country to separate the powers. Judicial. Legislative. Executive. Why separate the powers? Why separate the times of election? Because they had an understanding of what evil could do. There had to be a balance, a protection. Governments are there to restrain sinful nature, fallen mankind. Listen, godly citizens rarely have to fear their government. Godly citizens rarely have to fear their government. 
God's will for us as good citizens is to be good Christians and good Christians are good citizens. You cannot be a lousy citizen and a good Christian at the same time. As good Christians, Paul says, we should pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2. Pray for our leaders that we might live a quiet and peaceable life following God. Well, government has another role. I want you to see this. Protecting the community and punishing the criminal. Punishing the criminal. Look at verse 4. It says, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now notice here, listen carefully. Paul is very clear. God has not given the right of vengeance or retribution to any individual citizen, to any Christian. Look a few verses earlier. Look at chapter 12, verse 19. What did Paul say? Look up above verse 1. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord says we do not have permission to take His place and carry out vengeance and retribution. But notice now, reading this text, in verse 4, He has given that authority to government to carry out justice. The retribution against evil. Notice, he says he gives it to them. And they do not bear the sword in vain. Sword here, meaning, even to the point of capital punishment. The authority of retribution has not been given to us. My friend, you can't say vengeance is mine. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. But in His role, a supreme authority, He has given to government the right to carry out justice. So many ways we need to thank God for the justice system that we have here in our country. Is it perfect? Not by a long shot. But we need to thank God that there is laws. The punishment for breaking those laws. And that we have a justice system. And thank God we have a law enforcement system. Not everyone involved in government has, is right in their heart. Not everybody involved in justice. Not everybody involved in law enforcement. But thank God for law enforcement. I'm so glad the attitude of our law enforcement officers in our community is not the same as I heard about a man who served as a guard in a bank. He was in talking to the president. The president looked out his window and there were some armed robbers had come in. And the president says, I think we're being robbed. And the security man said, I think we are too. And he says, well, go out there and do something. And the security officer said, not for $12 an hour. (laughs) Thank God for men and women who are not paid well, but they put their life on the line for us every day. Thank God. State government has been given the right to carry out 
justice and also the administration of justice. Now, our motive then, what is our motive to be? Why, why are we to do this? As believers, we are to respect and recognize the government and its God-given authority. We don't do it out of fear of punishment. We do it out of devotion to God. We do it out of devotion to God. For the sake, verse 5, for the sake of conscience. Now finally in this passage... Paul says, not only are we to recognize the authority of government, to respect the authority of government, but also we are to respond to the authority of government. (laughs) Now, here's where the rubber really hits the road. And let me remind you, folks. Can I remind you? I'm reading the Bible here, okay? You have a problem with what I'm saying? Take it up with God. It's above my pay grade. I'm reading the Bible. And it's a very dangerous thing, let me say, to start pick and choosing the verses that you want to read and not. God says what? Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes and you do this with respect to God who has ordained all authority. Governments are God's servants. They provide for stability, safety, benefits that we enjoy. Do we enjoy taxes? Of course we don't enjoy taxes. But we do enjoy national and state parks, food inspection, air traffic controllers, public schools, universities, good roads, clean air. We love the firefighters and the public officers. We enjoy all that. But we hate paying taxes. I understand Taxes and these services go together. But ultimately, we don't pay our taxes for public services. We pay our taxes because we are followers of Jesus. We are honoring our God. That's the reason. God said so. You say, well, I wish he hadn't said so. What did I say earlier? Talk to him about it. Stop looking for loopholes in the Word of God and start praying for the grace to do what you know is written in your Bible. And say, Lord, help me with my attitude because it stinks. I understand (laughs) more than you can imagine. Pay our taxes with respect to government, and also we're to pay our taxes with respect to the individuals involved in our government. I've heard people talk about the infernal revenue service. Tax collectors. So you work for the infernal revenue service, do you? (laughs) Seems like Jesus had a relationship with tax collectors. Do you remember anything about that? I think he made them disciples and called them friends. See, let me tell you something. You know the best way to destroy your enemy? Make him your friend. Then you destroy your enemy. Think about that. That's what Jesus did. He didn't ridicule tax collectors. And they were Jewish people who were ripping off their own people. Pay Rome. Take the extra for yourself. He didn't ridicule them. He told them of his kingdom and how they could live for a different purpose and calling. Matthew, Zacchaeus. Pay custom to whom custom is due. Tolls or goods on taxes. Fear, respect. This means respect for those who have authority. Listen carefully. There are many men and women in authority who I don't respect their character. But if they enter a room where I am, I'm going to stand to my feet because I respect the office that they have. 
I respect where God has placed them. And I've got to be mindful constantly of how I talk about people whom God has placed in His sovereign will that I find quite mysterious at times where He wants them. Render to Caesar. What do we render to Caesar? The things that are Caesar's. Recognition, respect, and response. But now, just for a minute, hold on. Render to what? God the things that are God's. Render to God the things that are God's. What does that look like? Now listen carefully what I'm about to say. Because I really had an insight this week about this as I was thinking and praying about it. I'd never seen this before. What does it mean to render to God the things that are God's? Here's what my thought was this week. And I believe you'll see that it's on biblical footing. It means that to render to God the things that are God's looks like love. Love. How do I know that? Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing for a human being? What did he answer? You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with all your strength, and with your mind, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said. What does it mean to render to God the things that are God's? It means loyal love to God and loyal love to people who are made in His image. Amen. That's what it means. Loyal love means loyal love to God and loyal love to people. Now, loyal love to God... What does it mean to be loyally in love to God? It means at times divine obedience and sometimes civil disobedience. Loyal love to God means to honor Him preeminently. Listen, the ultimate pledge of allegiance is the pledge of allegiance to the God who is over all nations. All nations. First, we are citizens of heaven by God's grace. And we honor the God of heaven above all. There's examples of this, of course, throughout the Bible. You remember the three Hebrew young men in the times of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? They were told, when you hear the music, you're going to fall down and worship that statue. That statue represents the state. You're going to kneel to the image of the king which represents the state. When you hear that music start, you better get on your face. And I just think of the scene of an ocean of people on their face when that concert started up and three men standing. They said, you better get on your face or we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they said, with all due respect, we may burn, but we're not going to bow. We're not going to bow. <laughs> and they threw them in the fiery furnace. Three went in. What does the Bible say? Praise God. There was a fourth one in there with them. And it looked like one of the sons of the gods. The very Lord Jesus in his presence came to be with them. You may go through the fiery trial. Whether you'll come out unburned or not, I don't know. But God will be with you. Mark it down. We may burn. But we will not bow the knee to the state. To honor God means to honor Him preeminently. The God who is above all earthly powers. And it means to obey Him implicitly. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will what? 
Keep my commandments. Obedience to Jesus can sometimes require civil disobedience. There can come a time when trying to be the very best citizen you can be and recognize the authority of governments on earth, yet you are being required by government to do that which would cause you to disobey the Lord. And then you must practice civil disobedience. Like the apostles, they said, listen, you're tearing up Jerusalem speaking in this man's name. They couldn't even say the J word, Jesus. Isn't it interesting? Everyone's talk about the G word, God. I like to talk about the J word, Jesus, who is the Son of God, God the Son. They couldn't even mention his name. <laughs> and they were preaching about Jesus. And what was the apostles' answer? What logic? You decide for yourselves whether it's right that we should obey God or men. We must obey God rather than men. I read recently about Nazi Germany. When Hitler got his power, even before the war started, he knew he had to control the church, the state church in Germany, which was the Lutheran church. And he demanded of those who worked for the state church because they got their salaries and benefits through the state church. You must pledge an oath of allegiance to the Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler. And many, many, many stalwart men and women of the faith would not raise their hand and pledge allegiance to the Fuhrer as supreme. They were sent to prison camps. Multitudes died. One of their leaders was a man by the name of Martin Niemöller. Martin Niemöller. And when he was in prison, a pastor who was not in prison came to visit him. He'd been a friend to him for many years. He said, Martin, why are you in prison? And Martin said to him, and dear brother, why are you not in prison? Render to God the things that are God. Loyal love to God. But now listen also, loyal love to people. You cannot loyally love God and not loyally love those who are created in His image. Loyal love means to provide for people physically. From the earliest days of the church, the church was known as a community that cared for the physical needs of the community. I was amazed and so blessed. When I first moved to Knoxville nearly 37 years ago, I came here. I didn't know one person. Susan and I didn't know one person here. We found out four hospitals in this area at that time. St. Mary's, Presbyterian, Baptist, and the Methodist Hospital. Praise God. Physical care coming to this region through the outpouring of people's faith. They didn't think their faith just meant they went to church on Sunday. They had to care for people physically as well. Caring for the physical. Also protecting those that are at risk. You remember our heritage of faith? What did Pharaoh say? Kill all the firstborn, kill all the male child, all the male babies of the Hebrews. But the Hebrew midwife said, we're not going to do it. We will not. We will care for these little ones. God's command is that we care for the widows, the orphans, those who are at risk. What are we trying to do through West Park, by God's grace, through things like Cedarbrook Outreach, where there are special needs, challenges for families? 
We try to support, encourage ministries like After Stars, Summer Stars. The Bible says that we should love those who are strangers to us, the refugees, the immigrants. We are to show hospitality. You remember what hospitality means? It doesn't mean just getting together with folks you know and having fried chicken and potato salad. No, hospitality means the love of strangers. That's what the word means. The love of strangers. God Almighty told the people of Israel, and He's told us as followers of Jesus, that we are to care for the refugees. We are to care for the immigrants. Did you know that in Knox County, Tennessee, 44,000 people, residents here, are not from the United States? 44,000. Within five-minute drive of where you're sitting right now, we have identified 62 different nations within five minutes where you're seated right now. The world is here. The nations are here. God help us to know that if we are going to look more and more like the church in heaven, then we've got to have more and more of the nations Gathering with us and worshiping with us. Amen? Amen. To, lo to love and lo be loyal to people means to protect the oppressed. Christians were champions of, op of opposing slavery. Christians today are and should be at the forefront of opposing human trafficking. We should be leaders in civil rights. It was in Europe when the Jewish people of Eastern Europe were being wiped out. Who was it? More than any, taking Jewish people into their homes at their own risk of their lives. Even though they did not share the common faith, they knew that these sons and daughters, children of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, need to be protected. They risked their life to do it. What is the most dangerous season in any person's life today? The most dangerous season in anyone's life is while they're developing in their mother's womb. That's fact. Are we going to stand for the sanctity of life? Are we willing to put feet to what we say and love those who are carrying the children, support them as single moms and parents, or in adoption, foster care? This is what it means to follow Christ. Loyal to love people sometimes requires civil disobedience. It means loyal love provides for people physically and it provides for people spiritually. How do we provide for people spiritually? I've thought a lot about this week. One key way. How do we provide for people spiritually? One key way Sharing the truth in love. Sharing the truth in love. If you can't do it in love, just hush up. You're not helping us a bit. Take your fingers off the keys and go work in the garden or something. But don't send out this spite and hatred. Don't lose your testimony for arguing of things that won't matter one bit a second after you draw your last breath. Speak the truth in love. The gospel of Jesus. The gospel truths. Brothers and sisters, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Listen. It is not loving to lie to people. It's not loving to lie to people. 
to be truly woke is to awaken people to God's truth. That's woke. To awaken people to God's truth. To be silent about things that God has said is not to love people. That's not love. To truly be woke, we want people to be awakened to God's truth. My friend, listen. The latest thing. Understand to truly embrace trans. To truly embrace trans means that you share the love of Jesus, which transforms people. That's trans. You're not who you used to be. You're changed from the inside out. It's it's the ultimate change. Do we believe the gospel? We do this in love, though. Jesus transforms people by his love. Haven't you been transformed? You think it takes any more of the grace of God to transform someone? That it's so easily, easy for us to marginalize than it took for God to transform us. And guess what? He's still working on us. We're not so hot yet. But we'll be in his image one day. How do we love people? It's not loving to lie to people. But to tell them the truth in love. That is how you love people. If we really love people, we must be willing to practice, when necessary, civil disobedience. And also speak in love to cultural disobedience. And let's face it. Some of us wonder if we're going to stand and act in civil disobedience. Well, I want to ask you something now. Are you already living in cultural disobedience? Are you saying, I'm not going to go along with that. I'm not going to affirm that. I'm going to humbly say what God says. There was a prophet you maybe have never heard of him. He's my hero. I can't wait to shake his hand someday in heaven. His name's Micaiah. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Judah, and the king of Israel got together and decided, hey, can't we just work together? Let's just work together. King Ahab of Israel, King Jehoshaphat of Judah. King Ahab brings in his preachers who from their pulpits share exactly what the state wants to hear. Lines up perfectly. He had hundreds come and share. You're going to be blessed. Success. That's the way forward. And Ahab says, isn't there one? I mean, Jehoshaphat says, isn't there one prophet of the Lord here? And and you know what Ahab says? I love this. There's one, but I don't like him. Because he's always talking against me. Never speaks good about me. Jehoshaphat says, we're not going anywhere until we hear from him. I love this guy. He's, he's a prophet with a little toot, you know, attitude. They said, what do you say? What do you say? And he says, oh, yes, yes, yes. Just go on. It just, it's going to all be fine. going to be all fine. And Jehoshaphat hears him. But Ahab hears the, the sneering cynicism. I told you. He never. That's exactly what I expected to hear from him. And what was it when Jehoshaphat said, tell us what the Lord says? Here's what he said. Here's what Micaiah said. As I live, what the Lord says is what I'm going to say. Now, that's not just for preachers. That's for all God's people. We are ambassadors for Christ. You have not been given permission to come up with your own agenda. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. 
And one day you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and he's going to want to know, did you say what I said? Did you say what I said? And did you say it in love? Some of us are going to say, oh yeah, I told him, God. I told him. <laughs> and it's wood, hay, and stubble. There wasn't an ounce of love in it. And some are going to bow their heads who had friends who were hurting. They didn't help. Strangers they never cared for. People following an agenda lead them into a lake of fire. Never told them of the mercies of God and of a Savior who can save and change forever. I wonder if that might be part of what God means when he says he will wipe away all tears. You know, we usually end with a song. And we're going to end with a song today. But we're not going to sing it because we don't really know the tune. It's a little old. 3,000 years. Not sure how the tune went. But we know how the song was written and what it says. And I think today, us just reading this, these lyrics will help us to go our way understanding who we are, whose we are. And thank God, the final outcome, right? David wrote a song about this. The ridicule of people against the ways of the people of God, the ways of Jehovah. And here's what David wrote. Let's stand together. And I want you read this with me. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Read it with me. And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. <laughs> that is a good song. Now, O oh Lord God, holy, righteous, merciful, full of grace, who had compassion on sinners like we, yielded up his son, gave your only begotten, your beloved, that we might be saved. Oh, Lord, capture our allegiance. May we pledge our allegiance to the Lamb of God. Lord, help us to be good citizens. Help us to submit to you, to the government that you have established. And then, Lord, give us grace and wisdom to know that with 
humility and reliance on you, we must disobey. And Lord, help us to know what it means to love people loyally, to care for their needs physically, emotionally, to care for the strangers. Lord, to open our hearts and let the river of your love flow through us. And Lord, give us grace to speak your truth in love that people can be transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Send us forth as your servants now, loyally loving you, loyally loving people who are made in your image. Use us for your kingdom, King of kings and Lord of lords. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you, friends. Thank you for coming. And if we can pray with you, our intercessors, our elders, let us know. Don't leave with whatever burdens on your heart. God bless you. You're dismissed.